Hi, I'm Annette Diabrio, UK Managing Director at Sutra Group, and this is the original Sutra Group podcast. Today I'm joined by Sutra Group's Head of Healthcare Brand Strategy, David Gray, and Marketing Director at Sutra Healthcare, John Connolly. We'll be talking about the key changes the consumer healthcare market has gone through in the past five years, and how brands can adapt their strategies to stand out in this increasingly competitive landscape. So it's great to have you both here. Lots to talk about today, but what do you think have been the major changes in healthcare that we've seen in the last five years? Well, uh, clearly, I mean, COVID has probably been the biggest single um, impact on uh, consumer healthcare in the last few years. It's changed the zeitgeist to a certain extent. I think in terms of healthcare, it's probably changed people's attitudes to a degree in terms of the way in which they look at their own health. Obviously, access to um, doctors and GPs has been increasingly difficult. And so I think I think the main change has been really a bit of a shift from looking solely at problem resolution, which is the typical healthcare category norm problem resolution to a move towards slightly more preventative health. I mean, mm. if you look at the boom in you know vitamin D3, the whole... Um, growth in vitamin C, et cetera, those elements have really, really changed. Um, We've seen that happen a lot. So that whole healthcare landscape then, John, has really changed, I guess, because of these bigger things that have happened. I mean, COVID being absolutely critical. But um, how do you think it's just affected healthcare in OTC healthcare in general? Well, I think there are some areas that have changed. Some will be more short-lived and then there'll be a lasting legacy in other areas as well. So David mentioned D3. So the area of immunity was obviously very topical at Mm. one stage. And that will wane as COVID increasingly becomes uh, more of the past than the future. But there are other areas as well. So pharmacy took a real kind of boost during COVID with the limited access to uh, other sources of advice and sales. And there's evidence to show that that area, you know, people are increasingly heading into pharmacy, the traffic's Mm. up, looking for advice and so on from qualified healthcare professionals. So it does feel as though that will be a lasting aspect Mm. of the COVID phenomenon. Yeah. David, anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I'm personally delighted to see that pharmacy is coming to the fore. Um, you know, if you look at Europe, you know, if you look at France and Spain and Italy, um, particularly, pharmacy has always been the first yeah. port of call. I think, unfortunately, in the UK, that wasn't the case for a while. Um, pharmacists are very, very well qualified professionals. Mm. They're more than capable of actually diagnosing. I mean, I know they're not mm. allowed to, but they are more than capable of, and in many cases, prescribing. So it's good to see also that the government is mm. recognising that and we're starting to see um, the role of pharmacy, a bit more of a joined up healthcare service, I think is yes. probably the simplest way to it. And that's great news, I think, for consumers, yep. for retailers and for uh, for anybody involved in selling and marketing products Absolutely. in this category. I think pharmacist standing has really risen dramatically since yeah. COVID, um, as you say, because they are fantastic healthcare professionals, yes. provide a great service and more and more are becoming prescribing pharmacists as well. And, and just to say around from a consumer perspective, you know, the increasingly turbulent times, you know, whether it's COVID or whether it's conflict, financial crises, but there, there's a lot more uncertainty. And in mm. the past, that's when brands have come to the fore, because mm. in this uncertain world, when someone opens the medicine cabinet or the, or the, 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 the to see the reassurance there of you know, brands that are stable and bringing that much desired bit of stability back mm. to their lifestyles, uh, there's, there's been you know, many cases where 
those kind of traditional mainstay brands have performed quite well in those difficult times. Yeah, as the landscape changes, um, as consumers have different pressures, um, as even seasonality changes to a certain extent. You know, we sometimes have a, a stronger winter than other winters where it, there's more prevalence of, of cold and flu, etc. How do brand owners with all these changing timelines stand out? I mean, as John said, that there have been changes, but but the fundamentals of brand marketing haven't changed at all. It's really about the you know the the the, the three really important parts of brand marketing are around uh, you know awareness. So you have to have heard of a brand, know a brand. It has to have fame, and that's about the communication strategy. But it's also about visibility at points of sale, be that online or in mm. bricks and mortar. So brand awareness is still very important. Attractiveness of the brand. So it's uh, we talk about meaningful difference when we talk about attractiveness, which is fundamentally saying, is that brand relevant to the need of the consumer and the occasion? Um, how distinctive is it from the competition? And importantly, in healthcare, particularly, how credible is it? Can you believe that this mm. is from a credible provider? Obviously, retailers provide a degree of security in the mind of the consumer if a product is on shelf in boots, for example. Generally speaking, the consumer says, yes, that must be okay because mm. boots wouldn't stock it if it wasn't. Mm. So the credibility side is is complicated in that it has a number of different aspects. It's not just about claims and distribution. It's a whole range of elements that builds trust in the brand. And as mm. John said, we increasingly, we saw it in food, actually, it happened. Um, you know, a lot of the legacy traditional brands saw sales increase during these times of uncertainty yeah. because it gives you a degree of yes. confidence in, in, in elements. So I think building out um, a strategy as a brand's marketing business around particularly um on the brand side of things about making sure your brand is is distinctive credible mm. and relevant is really really important mm. and that's about understanding consumer changing needs where they have indeed changed yeah. or where they haven't changed where they're still the same as they ever were yes so it's about making sure that you understand the consumer and don't jump to conclusions about things mm. have changed because they might not be a permanent sense of change mm. so insight's very very important absolutely so when we use the phrase the consumer of course the consumer is anything but uniform yeah and so as david says it's kind of the age-old disciplines of you know robust marketing about understanding the niches within that audience and then you, you don't very seldom is a brand successful because it appeals to everybody all of the time so if you can find a sizable niche even if you're a brand that the category is being redefined by innovation let's say there will still be many people who appreciate the traditional values and you know brand that they recognize from their grandparents or even their parents um, mm. uh, medicine cabinets and so on and so it's as a brand owner recognizing what your strengths are and then staying loyal to them you know, mm. so how can mm. i compete yes somebody's coming along and creating a lot of noise and re speaking about the category in different ways but that doesn't necessarily make you redundant that can make you mm. stronger because there'll be a sizable proportion of people out there who are very much attuned to where you have always been. Yeah, it's, yeah. Under, it's having the antenna that mm. enables you to figure that out and say when it comes to change, I mean, we could all make many, many mistakes by jumping on every single change. Yeah. It's only with the benefit of the hindsight you know that that's a trend versus a fad. Yeah. And of course, you back too many fads, that's a very expensive exercise. But if we go, if we go back to COVID and we see how so many people went online, we saw the growth of online sales dramatically yeah. grow. And we also see clearly social media. And so the way that that the brands are communicating has mm. changed a lot, hasn't it, in the last couple of years even? Yeah, I, th I think, you know, in the healthcare space, um, I mean, there are various 
phrases that have been coined. Webucation is one of the ones that gets bandied around where people have increasingly, I mean, it's not, it was pre-COVID, it's been going on for a while. The first thing you do now is go to Dr. Google. And if you, t if you speak to healthcare professionals, they get quite frustrated sometimes, mm. GPs particularly, because people come in and they've self-diagnosed before they even go and mm. see the healthcare professional. But I think what that has done very definitely is it's, it's raised understanding of conditions. The challenge, of course, is where are the credible sources of information? Because as we all know, you can go online, you can find really information about absolutely anything. So I, I think one of the really interesting dynamics is brand trust and loyalty and authority mm. uh, are really, really important. And again, it comes back to you have to establish what you actually stand for, your relevance to the consumer. But you're absolutely right on that. Yes, I mean, there are the, the communication channels now mm. are manyfold. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I think that's also started in certain areas. I've seen some really interesting changes where traditionally, I mean, we've just completed some work across Europe for a, for a client and we've been looking at traditionally Italy and Spain and France would have been pharmacy first for purchase. With an older demographic that's absolutely the case. Mm. Younger consumers are a little bit more prepared to self diagnose and to self-medicate where possible. And I think that's a, that's a huge point, isn't it, David, just mm. about the different age profiles and, yes. and how different age groups behave, how yes. they get their information, John. I mean, you have it across some of the brands that, that you manage mm. where you are. It's a completely different type of conversation, isn't it? When we talk about communication, communication is a two-way thing. So it's, there is, there's probably never been more content put out there by brand owners. Mm. Uh, now, how much of that is communication? It needs to be listened to, and if it's not being listened to because it's in the right forum or it's in the uh, using the wrong set of words and so on, then there's going to be sort of uh, effectiveness issues with that. So yes, there's the it goes back to those age-old things of know your audience hmm. and know what kind of hmm. engages with them, which media. At the end of the day, we're here to influence. Yes, and yes, the claims. And the appearance and the storytelling are all part of that as well. But then there's also the environment and the extent to which people can believe mm. what they see and hear more readily. If we look back five years and where we are today, it's changed out of all recognition. So mm. it's just a mm. bit of crystal ball gazing, I guess, in, in what do you keep an eye on moving forward? I mean, insight is critical. I mean, understanding the consumer has always been the basis of marketing. If you don't understand your consumer and who's buying your mm. products then <laughs> you're starting off with the on the but wrong sorry foot, david so. just interrupt also before you even launch mm -hmm. it's uh, i think one of the things that we've seen is that that work isn't done before you get there Absolutely. there's a pressure to launch a brand without having found that out first yeah i, well, I, I think one of the I, from i mean i've been in marketing a, a long time and i think one of the things that i've seen happen is there was a big shift towards measurable media if you like performance marketing because you can measure it without that necessarily being exactly what people are consuming so you have to start with a strategy you have to start with a communication strategy and then your various communication channels fit into your overall strategy which is about path to purchase about consumer consumption media consumption habits so consumer understanding is at the heart of it and i agree with you annette there are many many times where i think particularly new brands will go to market without really understanding the consumer mm. and and you know let's be honest 95 percent 95 percent of all new product launches fail i mean that is huge so understanding um your consumer to john's point your proposition so what is it about your brand and your proposition that mm. appeals to that consumer 
and then bringing that alive and activating that in a way that is compelling and engaging is is really critical. So that, as we said, I think we're both violently agreeing with one another that the fundamentals of marketing have never changed. Mm. It's still about awareness. It's about attractiveness. It's about availability. The mental physical availability split, which is talked about a great deal, is correct because mental availability is the right product at the right price in the right place with the right proposition. Um, so if you're a premium brand, you need to be associated with premium brands. If you're a value brand, you need to be associated with value yeah. brands. So all of the marketing levers come together in a way to drive a single-minded proposition that people can mm -hmm. understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, this is a complex world, right? So a moment yeah. ago, we were talking about how the consumer, there is no uniform consumer. And even within something as narrow as OTC, there are major differences between categories as well. Yeah. So you really do need to understand in granular detail. It makes it more challenging, but then mm. also much more rewarding, of course, when you then succeed. You know, there are, there are categories in which typically the consumer is uh, perhaps got their fingers in their ears to an extent, and then there are others, you know, well, let's say if you're doing qual research groups mm. and so on, they might be fighting each other out of the way to make their views known because they're so passionate about um, you know, their experiences and frustrations in some cases. And I say the challenge for the marketer then is, well, penetrating one is rather more difficult than the other because in one case, say they've got their fingers in the ears, and on the other side of things, they are receptive to anything new coming along because mm. they're already convinced that mm. something better should be out there and they're just mm. waiting to hear what that might be. And I think just, again, just with a view to the future, clearly uh, the industry is promoting self-care and yes. people are now used to, maybe because they've got waiting times with their GP, they're now used to going to see the pharmacist or or looking online for advice that has moved the way people treat themselves as well i mm. think and more more products are switched there's a yes. drive to to work with with the mhra with the government to switch the right categories that are appropriate to, to switch mm. um, that will bring more people in as well into otc with that comes the need to educate from a trade perspective with pharmacists, yes. assistants, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So I think it's a it's a fantastic industry to be in, isn't it? Because mm. it really does help people get well and stay well. Yeah. And I think there are breakthroughs in science as well around how self-care through things like nutrition can kind of help stave off some mm. of the chronic illnesses. I mean... Mm. If you look at the impact of obesity and so on, then you realise the UK, several years ago anyway, was number two in the global league table of, of obesity. I mean, that's when you link that to things like type 2 diabetes and so on, just that early stage recognition of mm. how you can help yourself, it won't happen mm. overnight, but you know, over the course mm. of five, ten years, you'll mm. see gradual improvements, I think, in the, mm. or shifts in, uh, in the way that people manage their long-term health. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm very proud to have been involved in the um, Change for Life campaign that was developed now nearly 20 years ago. Um, was the beginnings of recognition that lifestyle changes are important, that health isn't binary. It's not just about problem resolution. It's about prevention. It's about lifestyle choices. It's about looking after yourself. And I think the healthcare industry as a whole not just the otc the manufacturing side of things having more of a joined up as i was saying earlier you know joining up the gps the pharmacists the, the aftercare having proper care pathways when you leave hospital also very very importantly we have clearly um don't have unlimited budgets in the country um and so the more we can direct people to self-care the less burden that is on the taxpayer mm. and very often for the user um it's a much more 
convenient way of uh, there are lots and lots of conditions. You know, cold and flu is a classic example where you don't need to go to see a doctor. Yes, you can just go and buy. Mm-hmm. A brand over the over mm-hmm. the counter, and there are many. You know, there are two or three, which I can't mention brands, obviously, but mm-hmm. there are two or three mm-hmm. uh, very well known brands in that space that people will go and buy, and mm-hmm. you know, they will they will treat the condition mm-hmm. for you. There are brand owners who are outside the UK market who'd like to enter here. They could be from other English speaking markets like North America, but equally they can be from Europe and German, predominantly German based, and yeah. and and you've had quite a lot of brands that in over your career that you brought in and successfully recommended the right course of action to just could you just explain a bit how you approach that yeah i mean i I think i mean one of the one of the challenges um you know the uk market is, is is quite a specific market so Market understanding is is very important. Routes to market, distribution, pricing, competitive environment, all of those elements are important. But I think when you're starting with a brand, um, you start with really understanding what's made it successful in its own country. Mm. So um, if it has a loyal following, if it has a high user base, who are those people? Why do they buy it? Where does the brand equity sit? Mm. But of course, regulatory environments differ enormously. Um, And so transferability of claims, for example, is something where we've seen many times um, you simply can't just pick up a product from one regulatory domain and and move it into another. Um, So understanding the regulatory framework, what you can and can't say, which claims travel, which claims don't travel, what it is about that brand that's made it appealing in one market, does it appeal in another market, mm. is really, really important. So the, the, the business intelligence function that we have um, within within the business is important because what, what we're looking at really is understanding the brand in its own environment, but also the environment into which it's trying to move. And sometimes it's not transferability. Mm. And cl- classic examples of brands that have grown very successfully in one market and have extended their franchise in their own market almost opportunistically Mm. and are sometimes occupying multiple therapeutic categories. Well, you can't just transplant that into another market because actually most brands start in a therapeutic category with a particular, in in healthcare, certainly in in, in licensed medicines, with a particular indication that they become famous for. Mm. And then, of course, you can extend Mm. once you've established trust and credibility Mm. in, in one therapeutic category, but trying to move into multiple therapeutic categories simply because you have those products that becomes product marketing rather than brand marketing so again you have to start with the brand you have to start with the consumer you have to start with the regulatory environment you have to understand the competitive environment and of course in the uk um very different distribution and retail landscape to say europe um you know pharmacy being an example i mean boots dominate here in the uk it's independent pharmacy elsewhere. So again, yeah. it's really understanding the, the similarities yeah. and the differences and then picking on those areas of meaningful difference that you can really exploit yeah. into the market. And I think likewise, John, for you, so we that, that would be a, a, a brand new brand coming in to a market. It might not be the UK, it might be France, it might mm-hmm. could be Africa, it could be anywhere really, Dave, because you yes. look around the world. You know there are brands there sitting in the market that have a lot of heritage. Some of them have really just been left to mm. to, to to just tick by, and and some of those we we've managed. and And I think that's that's a different um, approach again, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. So, if we call them tail brands, then uh, you know some tail brands are. In a period or of heritage, heritage brands. Well, tail brands, heritage brands, yes. I mean, yeah. some tail brands will have heritage and others, I guess, won't. But yes, if we call them mm. heritage brands, then 
it's quite easy within the bigger organisations in particular just to kind of consign them to a, an open-ended period of decline and so on. They get less and mm. less attractive from one year to the next because reversing these things takes effort, mm. uh, but it also takes skill. So the combination of a bit of focus and then rightly applied focus, we've had many examples over the years mm. where we've taken brands that have been in decline for each of the past 10 years, let's say, and within a year or perhaps two, well, first of all, you get stability and then you start climbing because you recognise why people bought them in the first place and you play to your strengths. Mm. So, yes, there is a huge amount of value, uh, untapped value, in some of the bigger organisations' heritage brands. And I and I think sometimes we we don't realise that when you're trying to bring in something new, there's, there's quite a big steep uphill yeah. climb to yes. do that, whereas there's a latent awareness um, and just this knowledge of how a brand fits into your life yeah. and there's a trust. We've had brands coming on board with 20-30% declines year on year for a number yes. of years. They are falling off the edge of a cliff. Yes. And so it takes an awful lot of effort to, first of all, slow that decline and then stabilise. And then, so it's a very much mm. an evolutionary path. And of course, the art is in how do you collapse that and make it as quickly as possible? Because like in many things, confidence is absolutely key. If retailers see your 20 and 30% declines, they start cutting distribution. To David's earlier point about accessibility and mm. so on, then that becomes self-fulfilling. It's very difficult to kind of uh, reverse that mm. once, um, once that trend has set in. But if you can develop a message that demonstrates to buyers that we know what we're talking about. We've got the pulse on a significant number of your shoppers here and give us a little bit of time and we're going to come back with plans that go through that mm. exercise. Then I say we've got several case studies where we've managed to turn that round in the grand scale of things in a very yes. short period of time. Absolutely. And without massive investment, it's about more focus yeah. and putting the right kind of investment behind the right kind of messaging in the right context yes. rather than just kind of blasting away and keeping your fingers crossed, hoping yes. for the best. Yeah. So, John, finally, just you know, thoughts about, I guess, one thing that we haven't mentioned is about investment and the importance of how long it might take you to establish your brand. Well, certainly if we're looking at new product launches, new brand launches and so on, I think a key success factor is, is brand owners recognising that this doesn't happen overnight. You don't build a brand in a short period, like six months or so on. It requires consistency. There'll be consistency in messaging so that consumers aren't confused about what you stand for, but also consistency in investment. So brand activation over a number of years, let's say, and also a level of determination in that very seldom does success just follow a very easy kind of linear path. Mm. There will be bumps in the road, whether it's competitor challenges, whether it's retailer or consumer developments and so on. And one of the keys to success, if you have absolute belief in your ability to develop this brand and to accrue all of the benefits that come from that, then having the ability to grit the teeth and continue investing through difficult times is proven to be like a... Mm an essential success factor. Great. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I, th I think that's really important. I mean, you can't just promote your way to the top either. I mean, this is the other mistake that's made. Um, you know, promotions, there's a lot of money put into promotions. I mean, there is... Not not promotions on their own. Basically. No, exactly. So so brand building is mm. really, really important. I mean, the field of the network, which I think most people are, are, are familiar with, has proven 
beyond any doubt that investment in brand, together with promotions, of course, want promotion cycles. I'm not saying don't promote, but solely to promote your way to build a brand isn't the way to go forward. You have to invest in brand building. And as John said, the route to building a brand is 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 a long path. That's why successful brands are successful. They've been built up over a period of time and they they have real meaning in the mind of the consumer and therefore they drive preference and loyalty and preference and loyalty drive cash flow, which is what we're all mm-hmm. ultimately interested in. Uh, repeat purchase drives cash flow. Cash flow allows you to reinvest, and that reinvestment in the brand over a period of time will reap rewards. But you have to, it's, in, it's a long game. Okay. It's but even then, with the promotions, I think there's a sense of understanding the dynamics, mm. understanding what you bring, because I, as a marketer, would much rather have success where everybody is paying full price quite happily because they understand the benefits that my brand Absolutely. will bring and the edge it has over mm. the rivals. Yes. I mean, selling because it's. Thirty percent cheaper than it was yesterday doesn't strike me as being that's that's not my goal. It's the no. goal is to kind of get that understanding and to provide compelling value at full price. Yes, absolutely. Thank you both. Well, on that very important note, I thank you for your time today, John and David, and uh, thank you for listening. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,